Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. I have to always say that you're my good friend and a fellow automotive journalist. Isn't that the rule? The rule? I think it's really presumptuous to use good friend to describe someone every we're, well, we're single week. We're not best week. friends, are, are we? Are I th- unless we are best friends. I think this is getting awkwardly personal. Okay. So uh, usually I use this time to not grill Ben about our friendship, but to talk about the publications <laughs> that we write for. Um, ben, give the people a list of the publications that you've recently written for, where they can find your work. You can find my work at Haggerty, at Inside Hook, and at Motor Trend. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, uh, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, this week we're talking about some pretty exciting luxury vehicles. I'm going to start our whole conversation first because I drove the brand new 2021 Genesis GV80. Okay, so this is I'm excited to talk about this for a bunch of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is I like the Genesis brand, but when they first came to market uh, as an individual brand, separate from Hyundai, I don't know how many years ago now, two years ago, three years ago? Four, four years ago. Four years ago. They did not have any SUVs, and it was at a time in the market where everyone was was pivoting to SUVs. No one really wanted sedans anymore, and, and Genesis came out with all these really, truly great sedans, and no one seemed to care about that segment anymore, and I felt so bad for them. Everyone was always asking, when is the SUV coming, and it's finally here. Right. And I I actually think it's important to talk about the brand four years ago when the first Genesis um, products came into the into the mainstream. They were still um, like all of those Genesis. In fact, all of the Genesis vehicles until now still had a little bit of Hyundai DNA in them. The uh, G90 has a little bit of um, Equus in it, I believe. The G80 has a bit of the like second generation Hyundai Genesis, I believe, and same with the GV. And when the G70 was being developed, it was also potentially to, to be made as a, a, a Hyundai product, not a Genesis. But the GV80 is the first um, vehicle that was developed specifically for the sole purpose of being a Genesis as we know it now um, and completed in, in that in that uh, mindset as well. I think it's also important to point out that four years ago, Hyundai had yet to introduce, uh, and, and I want to speak about Hyundai for a second. Hyundai had yet to introduce vehicles like the current full-size SUV that it has. The name is escaping me. I mean, Palisade. I the Palisade and right. the uh, Kia. Um, my, my, Telluride. Telluride. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I'm having a stroke, folks, but <laughs> I, you know, everyone's everything. Everyone's witnessing history right there's now. There's some kind of brain bleed going on. But uh, the reason I bring up those two vehicles is because they came kind of out of nowhere. I mean, if you're a fan of the brand Hyundai and Kia and you've been following for the last five years, it doesn't seem that unusual that those vehicles were so competent right out of the gate. But Hyundai had never delivered a three-row crossover SUV of that size that was that, was that accomplished. And right. those vehicles appeared fully formed and quickly became leaders in that segment. Now – for Genesis, I think that – I'm not saying that they took lessons from Hyundai, but I'm saying that the same corporate willpower to produce a, an SUV, to, to take the lessons that they've learned over the last four years and put them into an SUV um, and create something that has the potential to be as good as a Palisade uh, is there. And Sammy, I want you to tell me whether they managed to succeed and, and achieve that kind of pinnacle with the GV80 or whether this is kind of still baby steps for the brand. No, this is a, this is a product that I think can stand toe-to-toe with the best in the segment. Um, and that's specifically the, the Mercedes GLE and X, BMW X5. I truly think that this has eclipsed any sort of competition from um, other, other brands. I think it's better than um, a Lexus RX or GX. Uh, I think it's better than a... Um, Acura MDX. I think it's. I don't know what Infinity has to offer in this segment. Uh, it's a step below the GE. What is it called? QX80. So I think they used to have a QX70, and it's this is better than that, and it's better than the QX60. That's for sure. What about the uh, vehicle that we liked quite a bit this summer, the uh, Lincoln Aviator? Right. Uh, I actually think this is this is more um, of a complete product than. Um, the Lincoln Aviator in, okay. in, in some ways, and especially better than the Cadillac XT6. I, I really think they, they executed, and I think it's important that you brought up 
Um, first of all, the Palisade is, is always going to be discussed. I think anything Hyundai for now is going to be discussed alongside Genesis because people see the two things as kind of being related, that they're just um, luxury arms of another. And we're really, we're really not, way past that at this point. Yeah, these actually, the Genesis has no equivalent, sorry, the GV80 has no equivalent to the Hyundai brand. Uh, there is no shared platform. The motors are different. Um, the, 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 like, everything is different. In fact, I think they told me that there's one shared component, one Hyundai component in the vehicle um, that was meant to be a, an Easter egg hunt, and nobody could find it. So, do you think, what do you think of this strategy, though? Because it, Oh, it's costly. It's insane. It's I like, know, because uh, you know, we look at the Explorer and the previously mentioned Lincoln, the Aviator. Yeah. Those vehicles, are, they share a platform, but it, they provide very different driving experiences. <laughs> the styling is actually quite different now. And the interiors are fairly, you know, you, would, you get in the Lincoln and it doesn't just feel like a top trim level of the Explorer. So there is a way to do that right. Ford has finally figured it out uh, with the Navigator as well, uh, comparing the Navigator to the Expedition. But for a company like Hyundai to spend all of this money making something that's a com- completely in its own sandbox, that does seem a little crazy. Well, okay, seriously, Hyundai uh, has come to not just play, but to, like, dominate this segment. Look at the people on their, who are behind their driving dynamics. That's Albert Bierman um, and his expertise at BMW, making M a household name, now is at the helm of, of Hyundai's most exciting vehicles. Their designers, from Peter Schreier and, um, and Luke Donkevoke, um, this, guy, this guy knows design. Like, these people know what they're up to next. They know how – they have expertise. These aren't people who are just trying something for the first time. They have taken pros in this industry and are giving them an opportunity to craft something brand new from scratch. And I think that's why we're getting such really well-executed vehicles. So, and, and seemingly an, an unlimited budget too. Yeah, it seems like that. So let's get into this vehicle. Let's get into the, the – I, I would say the nitty-gritty, but this is a luxury car. So we'll get into the uh, – The hoity-toity. The hoity-toity <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Um, so under the hood is a choice of two engines. It's a 2.5-liter turbocharged four-cylinder or a 3.5-liter turbocharged six-cylinder. Um, both very powerful engines. Um, I think the six-cylinder is probably the best um, pick of the two. But the 2.5-liter four-cylinder makes 300 horsepower and 311 pound-feet of torque. While the V6, um, I was a little disappointed by the overall output. It's 375 horsepower and 391 pound-feet of torque. But um, it gets the job done. It reminded me a bit of my, my similar complaints that I had with the Telluride and the um, Palisade is that those cars – like I don't know if Hyundai and Genesis know how to, how to deliver a really exciting um, motor, a powertrain experience other than the Veloster N. Well, how, uh, how exciting does an SUV have to be though? So this is – Come on. No. Let's t- take a step back. We're talking about the BMW X5 and GLE uh, and Mercedes GLE and those cars can be had with V8s. They can be had with really good sounding motors and, but, and impressive ones at that too. But they also make you know M versions of those vehicles too. If you want to get right. really crazy, I mean, we talked about the the X X five M competition quite recently, mm-hmm. uh, and we we determined that it's not a vehicle that we want. So it you know it, but we, it's cool. Are we lamenting the lack of a vehicle we would never want to buy in the Hyundai yeah. lineup? You're right. I mean, when when you look when you look past that, uh, it is a family. It's a family oriented vehicle, a luxury car at that. And uh, the the quieter and smoother, the better, right? Sure. I I did say that there is a five liter in the in the G ninety sedan. If they if they wanted to, I'm sure they could find a way to to wedge that under the hood of this thing. I'm sure they could. You know, I asked why the G ninety had a V eight because. <laughs> No, it's when it came out. I remember I went to the launch, and the V6 is is fantastic. It's absolutely the vehicle that you, the the engine that you want with that vehicle. And I really think that the V6 from Genesis, the twin turbo unit, is underrated. But uh, there's a pro- portion of high end luxury buyers that don't care. All they right. want, they just want they the want most expensive V8. or the yeah they they want the most cylinders and they yeah. want to have that. I guess, prestige that comes with the car. And that's why the, the V8 remains in the lineup for the G90. So I think that, you know, with the GV80, it's a different segment. It's, it's X5 adjacent, not X7 adjacent. So they're able to get away with not offering that eight cylinder. Okay. So then what you said is really important. There are buyers in these, in the luxury world who just want the fanciest, the coolest, 
the thing that'll make them stand out. And I think the GV80 will deliver on all of those on all of those promises. It's, and I think that's really important because some BMWs do this with like really silly gimmicks that we've complained about. Things like uh, ceramic coated controls and uh, gesture gesture controls, or that key fob that uh, is a ginormous screen in your hand that tells you if you close the windows or not. Um, this has a little bit more useful gimmicks, and I'm going to go run through, a, and things that are unique that you haven't seen before. For example, a top trim model of the GV80 has a 3D gauge cluster, and I'm talking 3D, like, pop out in front of you, 3D. Okay. It doesn't require, it doesn't require glasses. It uses two different um, projections of the of the panel, as well as an infrared sensor that sees your eyes and can shift those panels and the projection of those images to your uh, to your field of view. You can also turn it off if that gives you a headache. What? <laughs> it's giving me a headache just listening about oh, it. Oh no! Uh, what? What is the advantage of a 3D control? Like, explain oh my it to god! Me. Yeah, it's not a control. It's a 3D cluster. Right? Okay, I'm there, sorry because I, I agree. Be, I remember agree BMW you? had 3D controls like three or four years ago. They brought them to uh, CES. And they were these projections that like popped up from flat panels inside mm-hmm. cars, and it went absolutely nowhere. I think they just kind of incorporated it into their gesture controls. That's what I'm thinking when you say 3D gauges. It's it's not that. It's very subtle. I'll be honest. It's very very subtle. It kind of um, I think how do you describe it? Uh, when you look at a at a LCD screen, sometimes everything feels kind of flat. And important information like the speedometer and uh, and and um, What's the other stuff? Adaptive cruise control. What are those things called? <laughs> what are safety, what things called? Safety, safety systems. systems. Right? Telerad, uh, brain bleed. Those things feel a little flat. They're, they're behind the steering wheel. And it, these features bring them a little bit closer without making them without making the screen closer. I, f- I, found, um, I found the technology I, w- I was referring to from BMW. It was called Hollow Active Touch. Hollow Active Touch? Yeah, it was okay. a holographic three-dimensional controller that would pop that up. Them. And it used sensors to pick up hand gestures, but it gave you – you didn't have to press any physical buttons, but the holograms would provide you with, like, something you could, in theory, reach out and grasp with your mind's eye. Um, I think holograms were, like – this was in 2016, and I remember being at CES that year, and that was a big year for holograms, kind of like how VR is the technology of the future and always will be. I think holograms had their moment, and uh, it's it's kind of past. So when I hear 3D gauges, it makes me think, like – Oh, it's another hologram kind of thing. Like project, right. I, I, I don't know. I, it, there's so much that already works in gauge clusters that I don't necessarily see the need to replace it. Well, yeah, let's talk about like there are so much screen in this vehicle. I believe it has a. I need to get the numbers for this um, for this gauge cluster. It's huge. It's um, twelve point three twelve point three inches for the gauge cluster. The infotainment screen is fourteen point five inches, which I believe is one of the biggest in the segment. Um, and there's a like 12 inch uh, head up display. So you've got images and screens and information everywhere. Um, but I want to still talk about those those like standout features. Again, uh, we talked about the gauge cluster. We talk, we'll talk about the um, noise cancellation. So apparently most active noise canceling features in vehicles use white noise to to make the, the to deter, road and wind noise and, and tire noise. The GV80 uses um, the exact opposite frequency of what you're hearing. So it has microphones and sensors in the cabin, in the wheel well, um, to cancel out with exact opposite frequency. Well, that, that's, how all, that's how all noise attenuation works. So, But apparently in the automotive segment, it's always been white noise generators and mm-hmm. not something else. I I'm going to have to disagree with uh, Genesis PR on that because I, I did a feature for Business Insider on uh, noise. On sound. Yeah, you, yeah you, in, you. interior vehicle noise. And uh, the technology is used to do that for um, for active noise cancellation. And which, which automaker was it for you? For you? Was it this a Rolls-Royce or something? No, there's, there's numerous. Rolls-Royce uses oh, okay. a system that would not only detect road noise, but it had uh, – it was like a vibrational frequency of the vehicle itself. Yes. <laughs> and they would – they they would uh, find a way to attenuate that to create what they call a, a calm cabin, mm-hmm. but um, I'm actually looking at my sources right now. So all active noise cancellation it uses the microphones that you mentioned, yep. but um, you use the opposite phase sound to when they collide they cancel each other out, 
and it lowers the volume of the original sound. So there's a lot of so, companies that, that either develop their Bose and Harman are kind of the leaders for yeah. that kind of thing, like third parties, uh, and some companies did it themselves. So Genesis was adamant that white noise is the common is the common uh, opposite frequency, but now they're saying you're saying that that isn't the case. This is well, more but they might, than it, what Genesis. So suggests. white noise and pink noise, and they all have. Yeah, they all have their role, right? But uh, I think that what you have in an automobile is usually the frequencies, uh, unlike a headphone, like you'd be wearing in an airplane or like in a noisy cafe, the frequencies in an automobile are usually tuned for below 250 hertz. It's much more specific. So they might have been looking at certain frequency ranges and kind of just focusing on those. It's hard to know. PR will say what PR is going to say, you know. (laughs) Um, There are some other things. They have um, one of those... uh... Suspension systems that can see the road ahead, any speed bumps or potholes, and pre-adjust the suspension for it. I've seen this in the past, but specifically with air air suspension systems, and this doesn't have an air suspension system there. So it's uh, it's an electronically controlled suspension that softens or firms up the ride, which is pretty cool. Um, Remember when Ford had that weird system that would lift the wheel entirely if it did, if it detected a pothole? It like jumped over something. Yeah, it like yeah. it held the wheel up in the air. That on the rebound. What an awful way to lose. What a great way to lose control of your vehicle. <laughs> I guess it depends on how how <laughs> the, the circumference of your pothole, right? Like, yeah. how long can it hold that thing? Um, there's also a segment exclusive center front airbag that prevents the front passenger and driver from hitting each other in the case of a collision. There is a adaptive cruise control system that can um, learn from your driving habits and drive the same way you drive which i think is so funny because it has like three different settings it has um oh i had them i have them written down here let me let me make sure yes no Uh, yes no following distance reaction speed and acceleration so based on the way you drive the adaptive cruise control will adjust those three parameters to make it feel more like whatever you're comfortable with. So if you if you tailgate a lot the gv80 when it's in adaptive cruise control settings We'll tailgate a lot. So we found it, a way to make adaptive cruise control and semi-autonomous <laughs> systems more dangerous. Yeah, I agree. It's insane. But you, there's also a, a slider that you can, I think, adjust those three settings as well. Okay. So it's like it's pre-adjusted to your your apparent comfort And like what are, the, what are the poles of the, the adjustment? Is it like aggressive, more aggressive, <laughs> yeah. less aggressive? I don't know. I, I love it. They call it machine learning, and I thought it was so funny. Um, but anyways, let's talk about this car. I loved the, like, what I'm trying to say is that it's loaded with technology. It's full of things that you can use, um, to impress other people and actually still use on the, on the road. Um, one of the most important things to talk about is that 14.5 inch infotainment system. It's very big. It's actually set kind of far back on the, um, dashboard. And though it's a touchscreen, I think it's meant to be used as a touchscreen while you're in park or sitting still because it's a big screen. Um, instead, there's a touchpad, click wheel, kind like iPod-esque click wheel um, in the dash, I mean in the center console, that is used to help scroll through selections um, and, uh, and, and click on items on the screen. No, I'm looking at a, a picture of this right now, and it, it, it kind of looks like a, like a crater? Yeah. Okay, it, it's really big. And you're saying, how does it work? Does it, does it feel okay? Or uh, it, it is not my – it needs – it takes um, getting used to. It doesn't feel as, as um, difficult to use as, say, uh, a, a usual trackpad system. Okay. And it do, but it doesn't feel as natural to use as a iDrive or um, the old um, Mercedes-Benz command system. So – the reason I say that is because I think with 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 iDrive you can just you can get like three or four fingers around that knob and turn it around. Oh my goodness! Sorry, does that sound too? We're gonna edit that. Graphic? We have to edit that out. You can't edit that out. I, I, um, Apple's terms of service require that to be edited out. <laughs> what the, we can't talk about gripping the iDrive knob. Oh my goodness! There you go again. Why don't While, we just throw this podcast in the fire? <laughs> While the Genesis one doesn't really have that same area for your fingers to connect to that rotating dial on the outside. So I think it, it takes some getting used to. Um, I want to say um, that it drives pretty decently. It's smooth. It's comfortable. It's, uh, it's got an all-wheel, all-wheel drive system that can send 
uh, 100% of the power to the rear wheels as needed. It has an electronic uh, locking differential that um, can send all the power to one wheel as needed. Nice. Um, a rear wheel. It's um, called the peg leg system. The peg. You love that. Um, and I was, I was just overall really pleasantly surprised with um, the attention to detail with the cabin of the vehicle. I think this is where Genesis really de- delivered. The one thing I don't like is the steering wheel. It's a very bizarre design. It's like one ginormous, um, you know, you're used to like a couple of spokes in a steering wheel <clears throat> with a flat, a broad, flat center. And this has a giant center and that's it. Like, like an old spoke. I'm looking yeah. at it now. It's like a big old, it, you know what it reminds me of? Like a 90s era Ford. But, like, uh, with a larger center. That was very much their design style at the time. But otherwise, I really do like the cabin. I think the seats feel and look fantastic. Um, There is a uh, massage seat function there. There are heated and cooled seats. I believe there's vented seats in the back. There are... um, It it is just... It's overwhelming. Like, this is a, a a fully finished product. And you know what? Sometimes you think that a Challenger in a in a segment will just do enough to keep up with the competition and I think what Genesis did what Genesis did is they went beyond with um, with a number of new features and and things to impress new new customers well, they, you know? they have like, no choice. those are things I... those are things that people will look at and go ooh that's interesting rather than saying like well where's the gesture controls or something like that where's the uh, what's the name of the GLE Hopping mode. The <laughs> I don't even know. I know what you're talking about. I, I e-active, mean, e-active body control or e-body. They have no choice. Stuff. They can't play catch up or or keep keep along because that they are trying to establish themselves as a brand and people need a reason to buy Genesis. It's not going to be price. Uh, there's plenty of you know less expensive semi premium brands out there like Lexus and Acura that already mm-hmm. exist in that space. They have to prove that this is something you actually want to have in your driveway. And they're not going yeah. to do that by providing a similar vehicle. Well, what I think, uh, you know, it's worth talking about all of the times that other automakers have tried to do, have tried to enter a space that has been dominated by the Germans. So, like, when Lincoln showed up with, like, let's say the MKX or the Aviator, they had these 40, what was it, 40-way adjustable seats. Do you remember this? And it was, like, their way of being, like, we've arrived. We can make a, we can make a chair that... We can make a seat that perfectly accommodates you. And that was overwhelming. Like, it was like, I don't need 40-way adjustable seats. No, it's too confusing. So it, it's like a really smart choice of what they focused on. And the, the digital or the, the connectivity, the, the, the technology, and the safety features are all, like, things that you can use on a regular um, – on your regular day-to-day commute. And it's, a, it's another thing that you can show somebody and they can go, wow, that's fancy. You t- you're doing good for yourself. I think maybe a good analogy for where Genesis finds itself in the luxury segment right now is perhaps Volvo, which is a company that had a, a kind of an identity loss in the early 2000s to mid 2000s where safety became something that everyone had and it was just technology and it was easily democratized and they could no longer hold themselves high as the world's safest car maker, even though perhaps they were. Uh, it just didn't mean what it used to. And they had to radically redefine what Volvo meant. And I think that in the last four or five years coming out with vehicles, especially in the SUV segment, that just feel very high-end while being different than the Germans yeah. uh, has done them well. And Genesis, it really sounds like it's a similar strategy. It's, these are excellent vehicles that are not just comparable to the Germans but better at them and better than them in some ways while still retaining their own identity. I want to, <clears throat> I want to say that I really – I have a tough time with Volvo. I really actually like most Volvos that I drive. I think that they are excellent products. Um, but sometimes I feel like they fall, sh- they, they stop just short of really defining themselves as a separate, uh, as a better product than some of their competition. I don't know. I feel like something like the XC40 <laughs> is kind of the pick of that class, you know, the yeah, compact so SUV the- segment. And I just actually drove a, a, an XC40 recharge today, and we can talk about that next week. But um, I really do like what they, they – you said. Um, they used to have safety as their, as their core identification. I think they started leaning on design. Now they're focusing on electrification. It seems like they're losing their identity every year or every generation of product. They're, like, changing what it means to be a Volvo. And I think that's not – that's kind of dangerous for them. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. So I hope that Genesis sticks to whatever they're working on, which I think is 
uh, delivering a lot of a lot for a pretty reasonable price. Now this car starts at just under fifty grand for the two point five liter, and that's a rear wheel drive model, and then tops out at seventy grand for a fully loaded all wheel drive V six. And I think that's um, a pretty good bet in comparison to a uh, GLE or a X5, which can sometimes get into like the hundred thousand dollar mark yeah, or close sure. to that, with with comparable efficiency. Uh, sorry, power, technology, um, design. I think it's an okay looking car. I I, I I'm it's, it's tough, man. I sometimes call it kind of conservative because it looks like every other SUV out there, but it also comes with it offers twenty two inch wheels. It has these really um, um, eye catching dual LED like headlamps that go into the fenders and go into the tail lamps. It's very clean, I think is the best way to describe it. So I call it conservative. Some people kind of call me nuts for saying that. Um, and I think it, it, it really does compete. I think they did a good job here. So anything else, You kind of wrapping up the GV80, what you want to say? I think this is excellent. I can, I'm driving a G80 next, and I want to know if they're going to, if that still feels like a last generation product compared to this being like, Every, we, we did everything. Um, and I want to know if the G80 is, is also uh, in that field or not. Okay. Well, um, the next car that we're going to talk about is another luxury vehicle. It's also kind of new, but kind of not new. Is and It's a new model of a vehicle that we've talked about previously on the podcast. And Sammy, I think you drove it also recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about the 2021 BMW M8 Grand Coupe. Competition. Competition. Yeah, I forgot. Sorry. There's so many words. <laughs> I, I also, uh, sorry, I'm not throwing down a competition with Ben right now, but the, the, the trim name is also is M8 Competition Grand Coupe or something like that. Uh, sorry, I should. Something like that is not part of the name. So I messed in, it up, Ben. In, in, the last, in the last, what, year or so, we've driven the X5M competition. I think we had the M5 competition or M, I, don't, I can't remember if it was a competition model or not. Um, and now we have the Grand Coupe. Uh, M8 competition, all of these vehicles share essentially the same drivetrain. It's an all-wheel drive setup that can go rear-wheel drive if you want to enter into drift mode. Um, It's a twin-turbo V8 engine with 617 horsepower, which is 17 more than the standard M8 or M5 or X5M. And that gets you a 0.1 second reduction in 0 to 60. I believe the M8 Grand Coupe competition does it in three seconds, Sammy. Jeez. So I will say um, I had this car on track. Uh, It was kind of a cold and wet rainy day, but I had it on track. And I also took it home. And there, this is a lot of car. Like, it's a lot of power. It is a, a large of, car. <laughs> it is hard to – it is hard – for me, it's hard to justify this kind of car. It is a lot of car. It, it weighs 4,500 pounds even though it has a full carbon fiber roof as standard <laughs> equipment. <laughs> it, it, it has a ton of power. It, I'm not joking. It was a cold – it was a cold day. There was a little bit – there's a couple of wet spots on the track when I drove it. And there were moments when I was like, I'm letting off the gas now on a straight. And I was like, this is enough. Like, I've, I've gone fast enough now. I will, I will get into the next corner now. I, I've, I haven't been scared like that in a long time. That's how much power this thing has. Zero to, zero to 60 in three seconds in a car that weighs like two tons, man. Like, it's huge. Yeah, it's it's pretty absurd. And, you know, that extra 0.1 seconds that you're you're shaving off the time or you're cutting off the time – it costs you thirteen thousand um, dollars. The car, the M8 starts at like one hundred and thirty grand, and if you get the competition, you get that seventeen horsepower. But you also get twenty inch wheels, uh, really nice leather interior. Mine had a two tone; it was dark leather with like a, a light tan inset on the seats and doors. It's mm. I think BMW calls it merino leather. Uh, you get the M like stripe logo on the seatbelts, and you get sport exhaust. So that's kind of you know, that's your thirteen thousand dollar competition package. I I, I want to say that you know like Sammy was saying, this is such a huge car. It's never something you're going to take on a racetrack. Like this is yeah, it was too much. It was too heavy. It was t- like to to throw into a corner confidently, and it was very fast, like very powerful. That made me feel uncomfortable. Like if I lose this, it'll be a tough bet to get back. Yeah, it's very much a grand touring car, and 
I the last time I drove the Grand Coupe was almost exactly a year ago during the holidays. I had was that an M8 or an M850? It was an M850 because the M8 wasn't out yeah. at, at that time. This is this is new for for this year. But uh, or and the reception on the M8 on your end and I think on my end, they, sorry, the M850 is really positive. It's a very good. It's a well, very good vehicle. That's where I'm going with this car. I mean, so for 2021, I don't think the M8 Coupe is around. Or convertible. Okay. I think they're taking a year off. So if you want one, your Grand Coupe's kind of your only bet. But while I was driving this car for a week, all I kept thinking was, I don't really need this. I really <laughs> liked the package I had in the M850. It was everything that I would have wanted in a large Grand Touring car. And I, you know, I really put the touring in that car when I had it for a two-week period. Lots of holiday driving. Lots, of, I would say, I probably put 1,500 miles on the car. And a lot of that was highway. It was extremely comfortable. It's reasonably roomy inside if you need to pick up people and plop them down in the back seat, even though it's got that plunging roof line. And the only car was... two people. You can only have two people in the back. Yeah. Although, or can you? Sorry, actually, I remember looking at this. There's a third seat belt, even though there's like a center console. In the it's back. just a tease. It's just a tease belt. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, I there was nothing the M8 did that. I wanted it to do that the M850 didn't. With the exception of having six bajillion horsepower. I didn't, but but the thing like, is, the, the 850 F- already <laughs> has a ridiculous amount of horsepower. It's, it's like the conversation, low. we had the same conversation about the M5 versus the M550. And no, the, I M- believe the our, M5 is sweet. <laughs> the M5 is sweet, but I believe our conclusion was there's no real reason to pay the upcharge even if, like it's not a track car, it really isn't. It's it's like the M8. It's very large. So again, we were talking just now about how G90 keeps the V8 in the lineup because there's always someone who's going to want to pay for that. And I think the M8 is that car for BMW in this segment. It's the M5 still has kind of a sporty reputation, but the M8 Grand Coupe. This is a car. I think it's very much about impressing people with the price and with the power, but I don't think that it necessarily adds anything above the regular Grand Coupe that you're going to miss if you don't spend that money. Now, here's the funny thing. I really think that if you are in the market for an an M850, good for you, first of all. Second of all, (laughs) drive drive the M8 Coupe and the M850 because... While the specs say that the M850 does 0 to 60 in 3.7 seconds and has 100 less horsepower than the M8, drive them and see if you actually notice and miss that um, feel, the noise, because that's like a $30,000 difference between the two, I think, maybe more, um, for a half-second reduction time in 0 to 60. Do you really – like 523 horsepower from the M850, that's huge. I mean who who drives that and it's like this is not enough. Right. But if – yeah. Sorry. Go on. If they have the means to get an M8 and they want to know if they should spend a Corolla's worth of of extra money um, for that uh, that 100 more horsepower, they'll have to – they have to make that – I think it's not worth it. I don't think it's, it's necessary. Um, even as somebody who goes on the track regularly, it's not, the, yeah, sure. I can put it into rear wheel drive mode. This, oh, will, this car will never go on the track regularly. It's not even in the conversation. I, I will say though, that it does look quite good, uh, yeah. compared to the M850i. It is a lot more aggressive looking front and rear. That's really where you notice that the, the rear bumper molding and that the front grille and whatnot, it's, it's it does have a certain menacing, presence that you're not going to get from the standard m850 so if that matters to you to the tune of thirty thousand dollars um i mean go for it you can also get carbon ceramic brakes on the car if you want don't do that i mean there's no need to do that on the street or even on the track they're really expensive to replace and they don't last very long on a heavy car like this so I, i i typically recommend people don't do that in fact you know what's funny I was talking with a deal, a dealership, well, not a dealership, but more of a uh, a performance dealership in the U.S. Uh, about a Viper special edition that they had ordered. It was the for a very brief period of time, you could get a TA Viper combined with the ACR Extreme Aero package. Oh my think, gosh! Yeah, I think they made ten of them, and uh, these guys had one of them. But what they did was they replaced the carbon ceramic brakes with steel brakes. Because on a, if you're a hardcore track person, you can't afford to be spending $1,000 on brakes every weekend. I mean, maybe some people can, but the majority of people would prefer not to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's typically something that you'll see at the racetrack. 
where uh, these carbon ceramic equipped cars end up swapping for steel because it, it's so much cheaper to replace and the performance difference is not that great for most drivers who are not, you know, leading the pack at Le Mans. And I mean, that's a track weapon, a Viper TA with the ACR, an ACR with TA um, that has the arrow to support the power, uh, the grip to support the, the, the power and the chassis. Uh, it has everything put together, right? Like an M8, is a four like you said? It's a four thousand over four thousand pounds worth of car with a motor um, and the brake. Five hundred pounds. Yeah, forty five hundred pounds. Amount. Motor so and brake. It's it's a car. I, I really like it. Uh, yeah. I, I I enjoyed my time with it. Did I, it made you appreciate the M eight fifty more, didn't it? Yeah, I think it's not the <laughs> best. It's crazy to say. I don't think it's the best eight fifty Grand Coupe or sorry eight series Grand Coupe. I I think yeah. that the mid tier one is probably the best. It's it's just the most balanced. And it makes the most sense in a world where a car like this makes sense. I mean, they're all still very expensive, mm-hmm. but uh, it's just, you know, I, it, I, it didn't make me feel special in the way that an M. Like that's what I really liked about the uh, M5 when I compared it to the M550 is that there was something about the noise and the look, and it was a sleeper that was like kind of badass. It felt really cool. Um, but the M8 and the M850 don't look that different. Um, there are a few like Q's aggressive design on the well, front I don't bumper know. I and rear they, bumper. I think they do look pretty different. Mine, well, okay. Well, I, also had, I had a British Racing Green, legitimately called British Racing Green uh, M8, M8, and I thought that was really funny um, with a beautiful interior as well. Um, but like the driving experience being in the cockpit, it felt the same. So I, I, I guess, you know, it's uh, our, our conclusion on this car is. If you really, really want it, you're not going to be disappointed. But if you if you have M8 dreams on an M850 budget, you're also not going to be disappointed yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you I end think, up with the mid-tier car. I think what we're saying is like the 8 Series as a whole lineup is pretty uh, is pretty good for what it does. And at the mid, mid-range of the lineup and the top end of the lineup, it's so good that you don't really need to – you don't need to make that, that decision, right? Like, exactly. Either one you get, you're going to be good. Exactly. Well, we said exactly the same thing about the X5. And the X5 is so good in V8 form. And the X5M makes no sense whatsoever because you're never going to take it to a racetrack. So it's it just doesn't the, – the extra spend, the, the amount of money that you would spend, it, it's not the best return on your money at BMW. There are some cars, I think, where the M is a huge improvement. Like the M2 is a really, really good car. And I can completely understand paying more for that versus the M240, which is also a very good car. And uh, the X3M, if you've ever driven that, it's a wi- or X4M is a wild step from the, um, X, the regular X3 and X4. But once you get to the top part of the BMW lineup, the cars are already so good that the, the returns begin to diminish. It's too funny to me is that like all of these cars that don't need an M – Got one, and this whole time all I wanted was a badass version of the i8, and we never got one. <laughs> <laughs> the i8, you know, I still, I, I still like the i8. I know it takes a lot of heat because it's not a quote unquote real supercar. Uh, I think that people because it for, only has 420 horsepower. Yeah, it doesn't have. You know, you got to pay for the i8 competition, which gives you 417 horsepower. <laughs> but uh, anything, anything else that you want to say about the uh, the M8, Sammy? No, it was a really cool car to have, but the 850 is just as good. And I, you know what? There's an 840 as well, I believe, in uh, the U.S. market, and that's probably going to be good too. There's no reason to not like yeah. that one. No, I mean, I, I, I like that 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 three cylinder, sorry, three liter, I believe, uh, six cylinder drivetrain. That's what that that's what's in that. That's it's a very good motor as well. So I mean, if you if you're in love with the shape of the eight series Grand Coupe, but you don't necessarily need to go super crazy fast, then you're also not going to be disappointed with the A40. Have we now like we've glossed over the na- the nomenclature of these Grand Coupes and all these things now, like these four door coupes. We've we've we're no longer griping about it because it took like. Four years out of our lives of complaining about it, and now we don't care what they're called, right? You know, Grand Coupe <laughs> is different than Coupe, so I'm oh. willing to I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Okay, cool. It's also my head does touch the ceiling <laughs> in the yeah. back seat. I have a yeah. long torso, so like that's a bit of an issue. Uh, the roof line will make a difference for some people, but I don't know how many people are truly sitting in the back of a Grand Coupe. Right. Um, I think there was one thing, you, one more thing you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, so uh, long-time listeners of the podcast are well aware that 
I have been slowly losing my mind while I LS swap a 1987 Jeep Grand Wagoneer. And uh, it took almost a full year, Sammy. But I can say that the project is 85% complete and is perfectly drivable right now, which is something that only occurred within the last four weeks. Okay. (laughs) That's interesting. Tell me all the details here because I know it's been a rocky ride. Well, I'm not going to go too deep into it because we've had other episodes where I talked about the heartbreak that is um, an LS swap on a vehicle of this era. But I just had a ton of issues with – there were a few areas of the swap that gave us huge amounts of problems that made it so the vehicle was not really something I could drive day to day. Uh, the, The biggest problems were we had continuous issues with the programming for the transmission and the engine. Um, the way that the programming for the transmission controller, it's electronically controlled transmission. So my LS, it's a, uh, it was a 2008 5.3 liter LY5 out of a, out of a Tahoe. And I took the transmission and engine out of that and I, I made it to a manual, um, transfer case, uh, MP241C and, what the problem was at first was we couldn't get it. We, we had fuel delivery problems. We fixed that, but then we could never get the transmission to shift. It would constantly uh, stay in first gear. We fixed that issue and then it would just shift too quickly. So you would pull off the line and it would go one, two, three, four. And all of a sudden you were in fourth gear and there's enough torque in the motor. Um, I, we're running about 400 horsepower from the LS, which right. is uh, two and a half to three times what was in the stock 5.9 liter awesome. V8. Uh, it's got a mild cam in it. Sounds great. But transmission, we couldn't figure it out. Um, the It turns out it wasn't getting any vehicle speed signal from the sensor. And we had to get a new transmission controller. When that came in, we had the data the transmission needed to know how fast the vehicle was going. But it was still not shifting properly. Long story short, I had paid a company in Washington to do a to rewire the harness for my application and to code the transmission and the ECU to know that it was no longer in a GM product. It was just running standalone. Um, their coding was not was not accurate. They were the ones who sent us the second transmission control module that didn't fix the problem. I ended up having to go to a local tuner who spent about 10 hours going through each line of code individually to find the problems. And once he was done, uh, shout out to Cesar for taking care of that for me. I really appreciate that. Uh, Once he was done, we suddenly had a vehicle that drove how it should have three months ago. And the real lesson for me in this was I'm never going to do remote tuning ever again. (laughs) I'm never going to have any computer coding done by a shop where I can't immediately provide them with feedback and have them drive the vehicle and plug their computer into it to see what's happening in real time. That is so important. And that was what was missing from our project. My uh, my is shop... Is that had, a byproduct of COVID or... No, just, this was... That's the way it would, this would happen was, This time. was a not, not a competent code. That's what happened. Yeah. And the, the shop had a good reputation. I'm not going to mention them by name. Uh, if you go to my articles on Haggerty talking about the swap, you'll see it there. But... Um, it, the shop, my race shop, which works on my Datsun and they're, they're a Porsche race shop, they, they did the swap and they have equipment that will allow them to do a great many things in terms of monitoring what the computer's doing in a, in a car like this, but they can't program. They don't do GM vehicles, so they didn't have any tuning software for GM. So we could get data it we could see what data was coming out of the ECU, but we couldn't change any of the code. So our hands were tied there. And being fed bad code by the shop we had trusted to do our tune really put us in a bad place. Yeah. Uh, but now that that's fixed, the, the, the truck drives incredibly well. It, it feels powerful. It's surprisingly quick in a straight line. The, the cam that I chose for it was designed for low-end torque, so it's not a screamer. But uh, off the line, it's, it's much quicker than it needs to be. Uh, I've gotten addicted to Hydro Boost brakes, which I have <laughs> installed in this truck. The pedal feel is outstanding. I don't really feel the need to upgrade the rest of the braking system now that I have this in there. It's going to be perfect for towing. Uh, and I spent the last two or three weeks just driving the truck around, working out some bugs, uh, I'm waiting. The only parts we're still waiting for is a front drive shaft, which we had some issues getting made um, with the proper couplings, and also the air conditioning system. We're gonna have to reinstall a new system from a Tahoe to fit with what's in the Jeep right now. But uh, I get a lot of uh, positive attention from the truck. People seem to like it. It makes them smile. 
Um, and it's you're always seeking that attention. I, I, you know what? I've always known you as this guy who is seeking attention, and now you've got the car to, to yeah. The you know, I'm to always the up. guy driving the lime green Lamborghini <laughs> down the road. Uh, but uh, it's it's uh, there were times during this project, Sammy, where like I felt really stupid for having yeah. spent a, a stupid amount of money. Um, but now you don't but, feel. But now I feel like I mean I enjoy the truck so much. Uh, it's sad because it's about to be put into storage for the winter because road salt will destroy it. That's just a fact of life for 80s era Jeeps. But uh, I really think that next spring it's it's going to be my daily driver. And I'm going to enjoy it that much more when I am able to drive it for extended periods. And really there's a bunch of – I have a stack of like uh, chrome trim and interior parts and projects to do on it that I can't do now because it's too cold and I'm out of time. But chrome once I'm trim. once I'm knee deep in that, I think it's going to be really enjoyable. And you're gonna get, uh, you're gonna bling out your car with chrome trim. Get some big old like dubs on it too. No, you know? but it's it's just stuff that I needed to replace that's that's broken on on the the truck that I have now. My understanding is that this is go- you upgraded the engine so that it could be a more reliable tow tow vehicle for your Datsun when you take it to the track and, right? and a daily driver. Like I and wanted, I wanted a daily driver that was that I could rely on, but that was vintage because I I'm you know we drive new cars every day for work so. I wanted something very different from what I drive for work. It's one of the reasons why I have the Datsun as my track car too. It's I want a different experience, and uh, it really does provide me with that. It's it's extremely comfortable truck too. The Grand Wagoneer, it's like solid front axles, uh, solid rear axle, and leaf springs at all four corners. You wouldn't necessarily think that's a, a recipe for comfort, but right. with roads as rough as they are in Montreal, <laughs> it's really the ultimate vehicle for dealing with. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that we got that update. It's cool that you have this LS motor in this vehicle and in uh, your Cadillac. So you've got like these different generations of LS engine. Um, I think that's really, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I think somebody's laughed at me because I have two flat Fords in my, in my garage. I have a, an Outback and a, and a Scion, a Scion FRS. And I think it's cool. You've also got these like similar family engines. Well, the, the LS6 is a Gen 3, um, LS engine, so that's the first, I guess, the first generation LS after the when they, when they replaced the Gen two Chevy small blocks in yeah. the late nineties, and the engine, the LY five, I have the that version of the five point three is a Gen four, and that's the last generation of LS because right now GM has the LT series engines, yeah, um, and uh, they're they're quite different in the sense that um, I mean it, it's it's neat to think that the, the five point seven in my Cadillac makes the same power as the five point three with a cam in my jeep but the power is the power band is so different because the ls6 right. it's shifted towards the towards the top of the scale uh, versus the download power in the jeep so it's it's a very different um driving experience the sound is also quite different which is a bit surprising to me and i had to pull a bunch of stuff off the ly5 motor it had displacement on demand oh and, yeah uh, <laughs> i mean that technology works but it also it's troublesome uh gm has issues with the lifters and um, there's some cylinder problems that, that can crop up. I didn't want to deal with it, so I put a delete kit on there. And I also I, I didn't have to worry about variable valve timing. My, my engine did not have that. So that was that was another thing I didn't need to delete, but probably would have because there's no real advantage of it. Um, when it comes to the world when it comes to the world of like engine swaps, a lot of people think that like a, a Chevy small block or an LS swap is like it's kind of cliche, but there's a reason for it. These things are much more reliable. They're, there's a huge community. There's a lot of them available. Um, so it's cool. Like I said, it, it is really nice to see this. Well, this what it does is it, it solves a lot of problems mm-hmm. and, and in a very compact package. And I mean, even, you know, I talked about the power. I probably have three times the fuel efficiency. Um, I, I went from nine miles per gallon, six miles per gallon around Ouch. town to like 18 to 22, 23. Wow. And that's a huge difference. It's the difference between being able to, you know, get 90 miles on a single tank of gas, which is what I was getting before in the Grand Wagoneer, which is absurd. There's no way that that's a, yeah, 90 miles. So there's no way that's a sustainable lifestyle to a vehicle that I can actually enjoy and drive every day, cool. you know, and have it out there on the road. And I think that's the most important thing is like having that, you know, I turn the key, I know it's going to start. And being able to trust that process. And it was this has been a horrendously expensive swap uh, because I upgraded a lot of other things in the Jeep at the same time. Because, you know, a vehicle is a system. You can't just put a big motor in it and call it a day. So I put in the Hydro Boost brakes. I, I, had, uh, I went from 273 to 373 gearing front and rear. Um, I upgraded the cooling of the engine. I did the cam. 
Uh, I put in cooling for the transmission. Just all this stuff that you want to do to make sure that it's done once and done right. Right. Because um, cool. I've, I've half-assed swaps in the past. <laughs> I've had some half-assed swapped cars. And it's not it's not a great situation. Um, I love it. It's great. Uh, anything else you want to say today? No, I think that's good. I just needed to – I wanted to give guys uh, and, and, and girls and ladies and men in the uh, audience an update because I know – People have been following the swap online, and uh, it's kind of cool that it's kind of done. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are we talking about next week? Next week, I'm going to be talking. I've got a double whammy for you, Sammy, uh, on on the Mazda front. I'm going to be talking about the CX30 and the Mazda 3 Turbo, which is actually sitting in my driveway right now. It was dropped off by Mazda. It's uh, they're doing instead of doing a launch event, they're doing individual drops because it's just safer that way. So I've had the car for 24 hours, and I can't tell you anything about it now, but I will be able to tell you next week. And I will have a double whammy on the Hyundai front because I've drove, I've driven the brand new next generation uh, Hyundai Elantra as well as the Sonata N Line. So uh, I can't wait to talk to you about that next week. All right. And uh, if people wanted to uh, get in touch with us and ask us specific questions about the podcast or past podcasts or car questions or, you know, questions about our friendship, how Mm -hmm. would they be able to do that, Sammy? It's actually really easy. You can go to our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You go there. You click on the contact button there and you fill out the form. It lands in our inbox. Another way of getting in touch with us is emailing us the old-fashioned way. It's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. And Ben sends all the relevant questions to both to to my way as well, so it's great. So I'm not surprised by whatever you guys end up asking. And I shield him from criticism. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. Uh, additionally, you can go on social media. You can reach out to us on social media. Ben prefers being um, uh, spoken to in the wonderful world of Instagram, where he's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter, where everyone is uh, is very vocal. Lots of discussion in Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing. And at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can also find all of our old podcasts. By old podcasts, I mean previous episodes. You can find uh, podcatchers that you perhaps already use and subscribe to us using links that we have on the site, like uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Google Google Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon. We are everywhere, Spotify. and uh, Or you can just listen to them on the site itself. It's up to you. Um, yeah, I love it. I love – if we're not on any – if, if – Seriously, you can use these two plugs here. If we're on a podcast, if we're not on a podcast client that you that you use, tell us. Use the contact forms. Let us know. Please let us know, and we will uh, unleash unleash our vengeance. All right. So take care, my good friend, or whatever friend I can classify you as. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Goodbye, everybody.